So today, we are continuing our series in the book of Acts. We're in Acts 2, 1 to 4. So we're going to be reading that together. If you'd like a Bible, put your hand up and an usher will bring you one. It says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. You remember in Acts 1.14, the disciples were gathered together in prayer. They were all joining together constantly in prayer. So they were all gathered together in one place in prayer. They'd been in prayer for an extended period of time. And they were doing this because Jesus had told them, go and wait for the gift my Father will give you, the promised Holy Spirit. So that's what's happening here. This is go time. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It's a profound experience, a profound passage. Please join in prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak through your word. And I pray that you would show us what this means for us, what our expectations should be as we walk with Christ. Um, Open our ears, open our eyes, that we might see you. In Jesus' name, amen. So when the word Pentecost is said, what generally comes to mind is Pentecostalism. Are you familiar with Pentecostals? that branch of the, of the Christian church, our brothers and sisters in Christ. They tend to be uh, uh, associated with speaking in tongues, with more demonstrative spiritual gifts. And, uh, and that's just what we think of when we hear the word Pentecost. And for me, I'm a hand raiser. I like to raise my hands. It works for me in worship. Uh, I love it when people pray and speak in tongues, particularly when people pray over me and speak in tongues. I have a friend who... Will, uh, will lay hands on me and pray for me and speak in tongues. And many times God speaks to him as he is praying for me in this unknown language, and I receive a word from the Lord. It's a great blessing. I'm way okay with that. I like to dance in church, and I have my kids, so I have a great excuse. But if I dance as much as I wanted to, I'm not sure if you guys would like that very much. It's uh, <laughs> kind of breaking a lot of things. But I, I guess you could say I'm Pentecostal-ish. I'm not Pentecostal. I'm Pentecostal-ish. I don't wave flags or anything, but I identify myself as a charismatic. I'm someone, not just because of my personality, but because of my theology, I believe that all of the gifts in the Bible are for today. The gifts that God gives are for today. And uh, some of those things, like the gift of tongues, are, are an unknown language. It's something that's diff- difficult, but I believe that that gift is for today in many forms. Uh, All of these things are in the Scripture, demonstrated in the Scripture, without any sense that they are to cease at some certain time. And as long as we keep everything within the guidelines of the Scripture, these are great gifts to the church. The Bible actually says, do not scorn a prophecy. Don't take a word that someone thinks they have from God and say, ah, that's garbage, just because it makes you uncomfortable. You know, we should test things humbly, to make sure they're from God. We should test them with Scripture. We should test them in community with other Christians. But we shouldn't scorn them because we can extinguish the very work of the Holy Spirit when we do those kinds of things. Our attitudes really need to 
be good and open to the Holy Spirit. The book we're reading in our small groups by Rob Reamer has this amazing uh, quote in it. He said, The correction for misuse of the spiritual gifts God gives is not disuse of the gifts God gives, but right use. That's good stuff. The Bible has all kinds of guidelines about how we are to exercise gifts and, and, and be in our worship service. And to tell you the truth, it's mostly common sense. The Bible gives all kinds of ways that we can facilitate the gifts that God gives, even the ones that are more demonstrative, in a way that glorifies Jesus and builds up the church. But historically, people in the church have really split hairs over spiritual gifts. It's been a big point of contention and caused even some division when people have differing opinions on, uh, on different things. Uh, in the early part of the 20th century, the gift of tongues speaking in an unknown language, re-emerged in this revival that happened, and everyone had to have an opinion on it. Every denomination had to have an opinion on it, and some people were like, no, 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 I don't think that's from God, and they went one way, and it was a point of contention, believe it or not. It became this really big thing. And uh, our own denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance, in the early part of the 20th century, which is the century I was born in, a long time ago, uh, in the early part of the 20th century, uh, we, we split and became the CMA and the Assemblies of God. You've probably heard of the Assembly of God Church. It's a more uh, charismatic kind of brand of, uh, of faith. But we were, we were one at one point. In the early part of the 20th century, this kind of thing was, was happening. And right now, in the current time in which we live, God's really spoken to me and said, you know what? I really want to bring balance back to things in our denomination, in, in Christianity in general. We need people that are not only Bible people, we need people who are wise people who can facilitate the spiritual gifts I want to give and use them wisely. God wants a word and spirit people, and he's doing that in our denomination. If you see across the churches that I go to, uh, there's a balanced, very biblical, very smart theology and very sound practice of the spiritual gifts, and there's an openness. And God is doing new things in our denomination and in our time. I believe it's something that God's working on. You see, what people tend to do is basically allow uh, disunity to come into the church. This is a very human thing. And actually, it's a very human thing that can happen in any organization. People cause all kinds of splits and make issues really big and then break fellowship with other people all the time. But this is not God's will for us. Jesus said in John 17, with some of his very last breaths before he went to the cross, shed his blood and died for our sins. His biggest concern in his high priestly prayer, Father, that they would be one, even as you and I are one, that the whole world would know that you sent me. Jesus' final breath was for unity in the church. But us, as, us people, we, we look for every opportunity to cause disunity, whether it be speaking in tongues or, or something even more, uh, more trivial than that. We, we're just good at that in our humanity. It has nothing to do with God. It's not God's will. People just do that. It comes down to basic unredeemed human nature. Uh, people who are, this, this is my theory, okay? This is my theory alone. And I want to write like a dissertation on it. But I think churches are split by personality type more than anything. 
I really think that there's a lot more unity that could be had in the church. Uh, people make it about theology many times, and sometimes there are the- theological reasons that we need to be, uh, you know, that we, that we don't belong together. Like if people don't believe in Jesus being the Son of God, that's kind of a big deal for being a Christian. And you know what? There are churches where people don't believe that. They don't believe Jesus was even a real person, and they don't believe that the Bible is God's inspired word uh, and that it is useful for teaching, correcting, you know, all the things the Bible says it is, and they throw away parts they don't like, and they cut and paste. You know, I don't think of that as being a, uh, uh, um, something where it's unnecessary division. I think it's separating, actually, what the true church is based on Jesus Christ from an organization that doesn't believe in Jesus. So that makes sense. But all these other little things are uh, probably not terribly important. And I think that churches are mostly split up by personality type. If you're analytical and you're kind of a, a thinker, you go Presbyterian. I grew up Presbyterian. I'm kind of Presbyterian inside. <laughs> but you know what? I appreciate my upbringing. I don't scorn the gift God gave me in my upbringing. I love it. I think one of the mistakes that people make is rejecting everything from a previous stage in their spiritual development. That's no good. Now I found everything that's right. And then they reject everything, and they throw out good stuff, too. And I got some great things from my Presbyterian upbringing. Uh, an immense amount of respect for God. A belief that God is imminent and that we should live in awe of him. A belief that the Bible is a powerful thing that needs to be stewarded well, not twisted. And so I I make every effort not to twist Scripture because I see the power is in knowing what it's saying and letting the Holy Spirit do what he will with it. So I I don't scorn my Presbyterian upbringing. I'm an analytical reader, thinker type person. So I like that. Um, If you are an emotional person, which is unfortunately looked down upon uh, as as invalid sometimes, but I mean, God made some people emotional. And I like to remind people that your emotions don't come from your heart. They come from your brain. Your limbic system is in your brain. So you're thoughtful when you're emotional. It comes from your brain. It's part of your brain. And uh, if you're a very emotional, expressive person, you might go charismatic. Maybe you'll go Pentecostal. Uh, If you are a sensory person who really likes order, you know, you'll go for the place with the pretty stained glass windows and the nice smells of incense. And uh, you're probably also the type of person that will... When you're going through the mall, you'll go to Yankee Candle and smell all the candles. And you'll go to art galleries and stare at the wall. That's what some people call looking at art. I happen to like art. But I really think we often split up in the church over unnece- unnecessarily over just having different personalities. And the human propensity, apart from the redemption of Jesus Christ, is to be in a comfortable setting, meaning everyone around me thinks like me, looks like me, it prefers everything that I prefer. That's our propensity as people. That's what we, uh, we do. And unfortunately, many times in both charismatic churches or Presbyterian cessationist churches, people do the all-too-human thing, in-group, out-group. We have, you know, respect for the Bible. Those people are doing the, all this experiential stuff. Or then the people are like, we're, we're experiencing the Holy Spirit. They're just stuck in their books, <laughs> you know? You have this in-group, out-group thing. It's very unbalanced. I'm telling you, it's the greatest trick the devil played is getting people to 
separate in the church from each other. Because you know what? We really need, uh, we really need heart people who are like very charismatic. And we really need highly intellectual analytical people to, to, we need that. We can't all be everything. We need the body of Christ to be diverse so that we can be, remain balanced. So me as a very analytical young man, I encountered a person who was a mentor of mine and he heard the voice of God. He talked about things the Spirit was saying to him on a regular basis. And I was just like, well, how do you know? How do you? I, I was totally obsessed with it, and it made me hungry to, to look because I was around him. But what if I was in a church just surrounded by other people that were just like me? Um, I think we need each other to be balanced. And, you know, you can probably tell this is my soapbox. Okay. <laughs> um, I desire every personality type, every personality uh, type, every age, race, language, subculture to be here at the church because I believe that that is what reflects the kingdom of God, not a monochromatic, same, same, same church. Uh, the coming kingdom of God looks like Revelation 7. After this I looked, there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I like to think that they all just spoke their own native tongue. It was this beautiful expression of diversity and unity in worship. And I think that that is what God wants in the church. I think he wants all different personality types to be together, all different people from all different uh, backgrounds so that we can rub off on each other and we can encourage each other as long as it, is, as it is called the day to grow in our relationship with Christ. And it doesn't help you to grow when you're only around people that are just like you. It just doesn't work. So what does this have to do with Pentecost? Or am I just soapboxing it? Or am I hay baling it? Should I be standing on a hay bale? Uh, is that, that, would that be a good soapbox today? I think that Pentecost is about unity in the midst of great diversity. I think that's what this, the coming of the Spirit means for the church. The Pentecost uh, it was not something that was invented in Acts 2. It was a day on the Jewish calendar. It was an agricultural festival where people offered their first sheaves of grain to God in, a, in hope and in prayer that God would provide for them. They were dependent upon the weather and upon God to provide for them. Justin, you probably know what that's like working on a farm. You're dependent on the weather. So they would give their first fruits to God, and they would trust him to bring about a harvest for the year. It's a beautiful thing. But it isn't only an agricultural festival. Pentecost began, Penta meaning 50, 50 days after uh, the Passover, which is like the most seminal event in Jewish people's faith. I mean, it still is. It's actually one of the, the, uh, the Passover and the Exodus from Egypt is our big story too. Because in Jesus Christ, just like when Moses led his people out of, out of bondage in Egypt, through Jesus, we're led from bondage to sin and death into a relationship with God. So it's a very seminal story for all of us. But in the, um, in the original Exodus account, uh, there, was a, there was a Passover where God pronounced a judgment on Egypt and the firstborn of Pharaoh died. And he, finally he let the Israelites go, and they went through the Red Sea, and they left. And 50 days after the day of Passover was the day of Pentecost when they came to Mount Sinai. 
And Moses went up the mountain. He met with God. And God gave him stone tablets with the Ten Commandments on them. And then Moses came down the mountain and gave the tablets to the people. It didn't go smoothly, but they eventually got the tablets. He had to go back another time. You should read the story. It's an exodus. It's a good story. But the point is, God was giving his people a way of life through those Ten Commandments. He was providing them with a unified way of life by which they were to carry out God's purposes in the world on the day of Pentecost. And likewise, we saw Jesus ascend into heaven in Acts 1. He ascended to God, then he came back down. His spirit, Jesus' spirit, the Holy Spirit is Jesus' spirit, came down and fell on these believers, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were given an internal way of life by which they were to carry out God's purposes in the world. And not only them, but every believer that's followed the disciples receives the Holy Spirit and is filled with the Spirit. And we need more and more of the Holy Spirit because that is the internal push that allows us to fulfill God's purposes in the world. The Holy Spirit uh, was prophesied about in Jeremiah. This, is a, uh, this has been referred to in the New Testament as well. And you can read in Joel 2, it talks about the outpouring of the Spirit that was prophesied. But this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. You see, God took the external that was given on the first day of Pentecost and on the second time, on the Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, he put the law in their minds. He wrote it on their hearts through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's what Pentecost is. That's what Pentecost is. It's a, it's a beautiful thing where God takes himself, the essence of who Jesus is. And listen, the Holy Spirit, we talk about that. I've read in books where people say, it's kind of creepy, Holy Spirit. Sounds kind of Halloween-y. People say the Holy Ghost. But listen, the Holy Spirit is Jesus' spirit. Everything you read about Jesus in the New Testament, just say to yourself, that's what the Holy Spirit's like. So when Jesus is, is uh, coming to the aid of a woman caught in adultery and restoring her and telling her, go and sin no more, uh, where are your accusers? Hard to talk about that one without kind of tearing up because it's a beautiful story. The gentle, loving, firm, all-knowing, all-powerful, tender Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus. It's God's third self. You have God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, three in one. And I call them God's second self and God's third self. That's a good way to talk about it. That's Trinitarian thinking. Through Jesus' Spirit in each individual Christian, we are given a way of life which we use to carry out God's purposes in the world. Jesus said of the Spirit in John 16, 13 to 15, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Because it's Jesus' spirit. That's a pretty direct connection. And all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit you receive from me, um, he will make known to you. The spirit of Christ. Through 
the indwelling of the Holy Spirit after that day of Pentecost in Acts 2, we are given an internal guide who guides us into all truth, who speaks the words of Christ to us, and who leads us uh, in, in to, into fulfilling God's purposes for us as individuals and as the church. Pentecost was truly the day when everything changed. It went from an external rule to an internal. And this is how God's kingdom is made manifested. And this spirit is what brings unity in the midst of a greatly diverse people. We are the church. We are recipients of the Holy Spirit as well, just like they were in the book of Acts. We are unity in the midst of great diversity. We are God's dream from Revelation 7, fulfilled that many who carry Christ's spirit would come together so that the entire world would know that God sent Jesus, that God loves people, that God values them so highly that he died for them. The day of Pentecost was the day that everything changed. Through us, the church filled with Jesus' spirit. Jesus is being expressed in many different ways. And it's, it's all Jesus. So you're going to meet Nathan Detweiler and you're going to say, oh, you know, he's different from, from Dale, Earl, right? He's different from Jackie. Everyone knows me and Jackie are kind of different. Uh, she's better. Um, but we all have the Holy Spirit. So there's something the same about us different people. The essence of who Jesus is, is in us. And it is refracted through us beautifully in a very unique way. There's absolutely no one, no two Christians that are alike. Because God has created everyone very different. And Jesus goes through them and refracts through them differently. Like when, uh, when, uh, when light shines through stained glass and the different colors hit the wall. It's the same light, but the, the way it's going through is different and unique and causes a different image to be projected. Some are artistic in the body of Christ. And some cannot draw stick figures, like myself. I'm not gifted at all. Some are very organized. Some speak Spanish. Some speak English. Some are funny, and some are very serious. And the funny people think they're too serious. And the serious people think they're too funny. (laughs) Not serious enough. But we're one in Christ through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Unity in the midst of great diversity. God's dream. Some people speak in tongues. Some people have a gift of healing. Some offer hospitality. Some teach. Some have wisdom. Some love to help. Some are very zealous in their, in their cause. And some are just really laid back. And those people drive the zealous people crazy. They really do. Some are very peaceful Christians. And we often think, this person is peaceful. They're a Christian. But some Christians are brooding with like prophetic Jeremiah, Isaiah energy about injustice in the world. They're Christians too. They have a different orientation, a different personality than maybe we do. They are expressing Jesus' spirit through their own unique temperament, their own unique gifting that God has given them. That's the miracle of Pentecost. Jesus' self is imparted to each believer and something unique and beautiful happens with each person. So when you look at someone else's experience with the Holy Spirit, you never have to say, but why not me? Because maybe that's just what God does with that person. <laughs> but you can say, I want more of God. I can see that God is, uh, is really working in that person. I want whatever he has for me. And you can seek him for all he has for you. In this day of Pentecost, we read about in Acts 2, 1-4, the sound of a blowing and violent wind came from heaven. That's pretty... That's pretty uh, graphic imagery of 
something untamable, something wild. And especially when you think of mighty and blowing wind, think about people at sea, you know, fish, fish, these are fishermen, many of these disciples who were in this room, they would remember that from being on the ocean. And that's terrifying to them. Um, it's, it's, it's powerful, it's out of their control. And something like tongues of fire rests on them. These are just these powerful, uh, poignant images when the Spirit comes. But I'd like to remind you that the Holy Spirit also comes in gentle ways in the Bible. To Elijah. And God teaches a neat lesson about the Holy Spirit in the story of Elijah. He thinks he hears God in a storm. He thinks he hears God in thunder. But when everything dies down, he realizes that God's voice was not in any of those loud things. It was a still, small voice. And sometimes when the Holy Spirit comes on a person, it's, it's like that. It's all-powerful or, or, or mighty. And sometimes it's just a very small, gentle nudge that we have. Sometimes God heals us dramatically, physically, emotionally. And for some of you, you understand this concept. Sometimes it just takes long, slow, gentle work of the Holy Spirit to work through things that you need to work through so you can come to a place of true healing. And God knows what each person needs. So we can expect great things from God. We don't have to compare ourselves to other people in the body of Christ because we're very diverse. God is so loving and so, uh, so sovereign. He knows, he knows us so well. He knows exactly what we need as individuals. And what we need is different from what someone else might need. And God knows how to get us from A to B. And God is really a good shepherd. He really is. He's a good shepherd. He's a good father. And he is working on you. He's working with you. Even if you don't, if you, you've maybe you've been looking for a mountaintop type experience or a room filled with swirling wind experience and fire, and you're missing out on God's gentle, quiet little voice. Maybe it's a conviction over something you're doing that you shouldn't be doing and God just keeps on hitting you with it. And that's the work of his spirit. And you're probably not going to hear anything else so you deal with that thing. Because um, <laughs> God's very persistent about our growth and he wants us to, to progress forward. Um, the point is, God can do anything. God is great. God knows what we need. And, he, uh, and, and we just need to seek after him. And we need to listen carefully. Because sometimes it's loud and demonstrative, and sometimes it's just very quiet. Sometimes it's through a conversation that we have with someone, and God just highlights something they said, and we know God's after us. He's on to me, we say. And uh, sometimes we just need to work through our stuff with God. Slow, long, hard process. But God is working with us. He loves us. He knows what we need before we ask him. However God chooses to work, we just need to ask him to fill us. As the worship team comes forward, I'd like to remind you of a scripture from Luke eleven, thirteen. And truly, this is the definitive teaching on God's posture towards us. We'll start in verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. The words here in the Greek are implying when you ask single-mindedly, when you actually mean it when you ask God, you mean it. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks, the door will be opened. 
Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's God's posture. Um, The nature of the Holy Spirit is to fill everything. The Spirit came and filled the room, then it filled the people in the room. If you really want the Holy Spirit in your life, more of the Holy Spirit, ask God. And listen closely, because it might be quieter than you think it's going to be. It might be a quieter experience than this swirling wind and this tongues of fire. But you might get that too. Just expect great things from God. He loves you. He cares. He's a good father. Let's close uh, with this song. And... uh, If you feel like you want to just express your desire for more of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to do something I did a couple weeks ago, which I just felt compelled to do. I feel compelled to do it again. I'm going to stand before the altar of hay. And uh, (laughs) if you want to join me, let's just seek God together. Seek more of the Holy Spirit. He is good. Through the Holy Spirit's empowerment, we have been given an internal way of life by which we can carry out God's purposes in this world in which we live. And each person reflects Jesus just a little differently from the other person. There are people that you will talk to in the name of Jesus that I will never get to talk to because of your personality and how God's made you. And I encourage you, seek greater and more of the Holy Spirit, more and more and more, and ask God to fulfill His purposes in your life. There are people that will come to Christ because of your unique expression. There's no one like you. And God made you that way for a reason. Let him fill you with his spirit. Next week, Pastor Corey is going to share about the miracle of Pentecost and what it means for us. But this week, seek God. Listen carefully. Your father loves you and your father loves to hear from you. Just like a parent loves to hear from their teenage children who are in college. They hope for that phone call. Do they still remember me? Or are they all independent now? Just like a parent loves to hear from their children, so God your Father loves to hear from you. So seek Him. Seek Him. If you seek Him single-mindedly, you will find Him. The door will be opened. God gives the Spirit to all who ask. We bless you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And may the Lord, who is able to keep you from falling to present you before his glorious presence without fault through Jesus Christ and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, for all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. You are dispersed to go and be the church.